Speak the truth, even if it leads to your death. Safeguard the helpless and do no wrong. This is your oath. Welcome to Corrupting the Youth Summer Edition. Corrupting the Youth is an undergraduate philosophy podcast that focuses on the intersection between philosophy and pop culture. I am your host, Dr. Nethery. My co-hosts from the spring semester have all graduated, so this summer I am joined by three new co-hosts for our hopefully monthly episodes until the beginning of fall semester. I am joined with two past graduates from my philosophy program and one current philosophy major. Let's go around the table and introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Derek Emanuel Jean Baptiste. <laughs> Social security number is. <laughs> six. <laughs> beefing all of that out. Hi, I love philosophy and I help run an entertainment company that pretty much specializes in the application of philosophy to entertainment. What's it called? Plug oh, it. Oh, yes. Entertainment Stew. What's the website? EntertainmentStew.com. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Emily? Hey, I'm Emily. Um, I'm studying philosophy with Dr. Nethery right now, um, but I also have minors in English and film, so that's fun. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Hi, I'm Asia. Asia. I'm a continent, and I also <laughs> help run. See, at first I heard incontinent. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. Like, what are you, 90? <laughs> Please. <laughs> no, that's all I have to say that's for fine. myself. Sorry, Asia. <laughs> I also help run an entertainment conglomerate soon to take over your airwaves, entertainment stew. EntertainmentStew.com. My social security number is also. <laughs> what What's Entertainment Stew working on right now? We are starting our convention circuit with Megacon. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like next week, next yeah. weekend. May 16th, 16th through the 20th. The, yeah. Bam. Uh, from there, we also have, we just started our third season of our D&D podcast, The World what's of Alan. It's uh, world the world of Val. You can find it on every, <laughs> literally every podcast site. I have spread I have spread it thin everywhere. Our wow. influence reaches beyond our own hands, or something. And so, what's the deal with World of Vala? So, world the world of Vala is a homebrew tabletop game that we created in-house ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it originally just started off as homebrew D&D 5A, but we expanded past those borders just for sake of convenience. We've but evolved. also, <laughs> it works better for our storytelling method of the world of Alan. Now, as past students of mine, I hope that there are philosophical undercurrents and themes in the world of Vala. The entirety of world of Vala is just cosmic horror hidden as fantasy. All right, okay, I'll take Ooh. it. I'll take it. I'll take yeah. it. You know it. (laughs) (laughs) And aren't you working on something else? Yes, we're working on our second short film. Well, mini uh, online web series called Dasein, which is pretty much just utilizing the philosophy of memory in order to see if, if our memory really does impact our own identity of ourselves. Okay. So look for that. That's going to be done by July. <laughs> <laughs> deadlines, deadlines, deadlines. So I don't know, I don't know if the audience can hear, but if you hear that beach sound behind us, it is because we are recording at the beach. This is no exit studios, the mobile unit. 
I have this my, is summertime and this is the summer edition. On. You've got your beach shirt on. Uh, you know, in uh, in No Exit, Sartre argues that hell is other people. How does that play out on the beach? Who are the hell is other people of the beach? I will give you an example. <laughs> Me, the hell is other people of the beach, is that dude blasting Yacht Rock. Or not Yacht Rock, what am I thinking of? I'm thinking of, uh, like, like uh, the rich Hamburger in Paradise. Oh, no. Okay, come on. See, I love that <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can love that dude, but do you like the whole genre? Do you, is like your, does your phone, is it just full? No, no, but it does, it does, it's the beach. The the music matches the beach. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I stand corrected. All right. Maybe that's that's not so terrible. (laughs) But, anything what what bugs you at the beach? Um, sand. I guess sand isn't (laughs) other people, but... I don't know. I avoid other people when I'm at the beach. My chosen activity is like floating in the ocean until like I don't feel like I'm a person anymore. (laughs) And then people are like, oh, shoot, my bad. Sorry. And they like splash me. And I'm like, all right, I guess I don't get to drift off into like nether space anymore. (laughs) So your hell is other people of the beach is just humanity as a whole. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that works. What, What about you, Derek? So, hot take, my hell is the beach itself. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, I personally, I have this opinion that we don't belong in the ocean, and we shouldn't go to the ocean. We, evolution hasn't given us gills or any swimming, any real swimming apparatuses, so we don't, the beach is not our home, neither is the sky, so we should stay (laughs) away from those things. What about space? Okay, so uh, space either, but like honestly, space is pretty cool. There's nothing cool about the ocean except drowning. Like that's what are you talking about? That thing, the ocean in some spots is so deep, and weird shit lives Mm. down there, like alien shit. Does that comfort anyone? (laughs) (laughs) What it will. I'm gonna say that the only reason that you're willing to make an like. You're willing to go to space is because you like sci-fi. Sci-fi has made safe space a safe place for you to go because you can fight back in it. No. No, you can't. But you're too close to the beach. You're too close to the true reality of the beach to really appreciate it. It's just, because, the sky. It's just because space is so far away, and realistically, I'll probably never get a chance to go to space. I was just on a cruise a That's few months ago. That's what I just ago. said. I hated that. <laughs> space is scary. I'm, not a, I'm afraid of aliens. Okay, I said it. Aliens exist. <laughs> I don't want to see aliens, but space is pretty cool. But the beach... For all we know, a megalodon could be down there in the deepest, darkest breaches of the of the sea. And once I get down there, what can I do to a megalodon? What about those giant fucking squid? Yeah, I don't like yeah. that. Whoa, you like that? Yeah, yeah that's those things cool. Are wild. They have like yeah, wicked yeah, hooks in their tentacles, and they could just like. You can't. Okay, so it's like total Cthulhu stuff. I don't know. You're not sounding like a true fan of cosmic pessimism if you're scared of the unknowable things at the edge of a true fan of cosmic pessimism. That it's okay to be afraid, and sometimes (laughs) you shouldn't understand things. Maybe we should take a step back and say, Lovecraft say like the the true blessing of humanity is that our mind can't hold (laughs) the infinite horrors of the universe. And I, I would feel better if the infinite horrors weren't like. I, we live, I live in Florida. If the infinite horrors aren't surrounding me on three sides. 
<laughs> yeah, true, true, true. So anyway, this is episode six of Corrupting the Youth, and our theme for this episode is art. So it's summertime, a bunch of big movies and albums are going to come out, so we thought we would talk about art uh, for this episode. Is there anything we're excited for this summer that's coming out? I will tell you right now, John Wick 3 comes out <laughs> in less than a week. I am so pumped for that. And then in less than a week... No, I guess it's a week. No, it's less than a week. Tyler, the creator's new album comes out. Hell yeah. Is there anything that you're, <laughs> anything you're, sti- you're, you're going to see this summer? Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Oh <laughs> shit, what does that come out? <laughs> um, in like two weeks. I, I love Godzilla. And the thing is, it's not a thing I noticed until like a few weeks ago when I was like, wow, I've literally seen every Godzilla and kaiju adjacent movie throughout my childhood. Have any of those been any good? Like any of the American ones? Mm-mm. Each time they're like, this one's going to be the good one, we promise. Pacific Rim? Oh, that's not a Godzilla movie. It's a kaiju adjacent movie. No, what I meant was kaiju adjacent was like the ones that all exist within the realm of Godzilla. I'm going to take myself out of this conversation then. 15 times. I'm I'm piecing back out. Go ahead. (laughs) So I really enjoyed the 2014 Legendary Godzilla because that's the one that's getting the sequel, Godzilla King of Monsters, because Godzilla is like a little chubby dinosaur. And it's so cute because it's like you see Godzilla run. It's like... It's so cute, and if we're just supposed to find Godzilla intimidating, but it's like they added so much chub to Godzilla that it's, it's so cute. You, just, you kind of just want to give Godzilla a, a big hug. It's like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, that's right. You're the king Wait, of what monsters. Is this called? I don't know if I've ever heard anybody call Godzilla cute. <laughs> What's the name of the movie? Godzilla King of Monsters. All right, everybody's typing shit in right now. I just want to see a picture of of. Chubby Are we Godzilla. adding a? Uh... And then, like, there's posters where like Godzilla's like roaring its head in the air, but the thing is, it just looks like no good pictures. It looks like Godzilla's just sucking in its stomach. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you excited for, Emily? Um, my mind is blanking. Your mind is blanking. Yeah, everything that I was looking forward to came out already. So oh, okay, what what yeah. what came out that you were looking forward um, to? Um, a bunch of like indie music <laughs> you know like marina uh, vampire weekend oh yeah 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 real basic over here what <laughs> what about you asia um i am not plugged into the mainstream i hear about things that i would like for my friends who are like asia this is coming up and i'm like oh dope nice and i forget about it until three months after when i'm like oh shoot this thing came out i should probably finally watch it um Oh, God, I'm also blanking. All I can think of is the loop of Secret Life of Pets 2 <laughs> trailer that's been playing at my job nonstop, and I hate it so much. Oh, Entertainment 2, we I have our first it. movie that we got in free tickets for as, like, nice. an entertainment company. It's Secret Life of Pets 2. It. It's such a trash <laughs> movie. Wait, no. I sh- uh, what, that Spider-Man movie is coming out in July or something, right? Yeah, July 6th. I love Spider-Man. Yeah. I like it. The-, the Spider-Verse was rad. Mm-hmm. It was. It's. I think it's the only. Mo- I started with Spider-Man Young, and I Tobey Maguire instilled a love of Spider-Man in my heart that I don't think it's ever gonna go away. See, I've never been a Peter Parker guy. I've always been a Miles Morales. It wasn't until Miles Morales I started to care. Unfortunately, I didn't have a lot of comic book access when I was like five, so I, I couldn't true, hop true. on that train as quickly. <laughs> All right, so we're thinking about art. Uh, let's do, uh, try something. Uh, philosophy question lightning round. 
So just in terms of art, we're going to go around the room and we're going to try to come up with as many philosophical questions about art, any kind of art. So literature, poetry, music, sculpture, mass art, so film, popular art, things like that. So. Oh, boy. I'll start with Derek. Oh, man. Okay. So there are, there are a lot of really bad movies that, like, like that in the canon, like Birth of a Nation. Terrible movie. Mm-hmm. The original one, mm-hmm. 1921, Birth of a Nation. Terrible movie, but it had a lot of, like, really good impact on the film industry in general. And if that movie never came out, film as we know it may not have been the same. Mm-hmm. The problem is, terrible subject matter. But does the subject matter matter if you're, like taking it in the larger scope of like what film has done since then mm-hmm. okay so can you separate the the ethical from the aesthetic judgment yeah okay Ooh. okay emily oh that was such a good question <laughs> <laughs> mine were mine were more a little like a little more general yeah general um, like who decides what art is is it the artist or is it the audience is it okay some so is art as party? a category some sort of platonic yeah. form is it objective <laughs> is yeah there like okay good good asia um, I'm interested. God, I don't have a question. I have a collection of thoughts. Okay, hit me with one of the collection. Um, art as it creates an emotional space that we exist in temporarily. That's not a question. It's just like, bam, think about it. <laughs> <laughs> like when, like the headspace you get in after you finish a really good book and you're just kind of like disoriented and you're just kind of completely in that world for a hot second, mm-hmm. even though technically it stops after you, but in our mind it doesn't. This isn't a question. Well, no, we can, no we, can, we can make it into a question. So if we're thinking about something like film specifically, we can say, how is it that film does that how does it draw us in to that sort of imaginary space yeah i guess you could ask how real is art not like in the terms of like what constitutes as art and what doesn't but in the terms of creating like i'm gonna throw words out a phenomenological (laughs) space that we exist in temporarily and how real is that space okay Okay, okay. Good, <laughs> good, 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 good. I good. Know. big shrugs. Good. Following along that line, um, I wonder how it is that music has that power, right? So one thing that I've always been interested in is the way that, and something I've written on, just to plug myself, <laughs> is the way that, um, <laughs> just start dancing, <laughs> is the way that uh, hip-hop can draw us in, like Jay-Z and Decoded. Uh, a wonderful book I, everybody should read it and decoded he says look when you're listening to like a super gangster rap song you're not scared like when the rapper's like I'm gonna bust in this door you're not like oh my god that rapper's gonna come into my door no you're there with them <laughs> if they're committing a robbery you're in the car with them how is it that rap is able to do that right that's that's an interesting Ooh. question what about okay Derek okay so um uh art is wait no I have one Art in general seems to be a, I would love to examine how art in general seems to be like an example of the zeitgeist of a time and how what people value in art kind of determines what they value as a society overall. Mm-hmm. So for example, we can move that into the realm of representation in, in media. The vast majority of people 
since you know there's uh minorities and majorities the majorities they tend to like stuff like lord of the rings or the avengers movies that aren't really dripping with representation Mm -hmm. because it's not reflective of what they think the world looks like and because of art is kind of the bannerman for that. That's just what all art looks like. Yeah, so we can ask, how is it that the art we make represents the world that we live in? And does it always represent the world that we live in? Ooh. Yeah. I, I try, I'm trying to think of examples. I could think of somebody like creating like some sci-fi painting or something and still being able to trace it back to something about the world we live in. I mean, we did a, Emily and I were in aesthetics class mm-hmm. last semester, and we talked about this, kind of came up a whole bunch in a whole bunch of different yeah, ways. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, Emily. Um, hmm. I guess, again, sort of like Asia's. <laughs> Less of a question, more of a concept, but just sort of like overlapping. We'll turn of, it into a question. Yeah, yeah, just sort of like how the overlapping of different art forms plays out, I guess. I'm thinking specifically of that movie that we watched. Like, was it a movie? Because it was more like a slideshow of images with like music and oh, yeah, dialogue. What was that I wish I knew. Oh, no, no, that was uh, 12 Monkeys. 12 Monkeys? Yeah, yeah, that was the... Oh my gosh, I've been telling everybody The Brad Pitt movie? No, it, yeah, well, yeah, but it was the... Um, the 12 Monkeys was based on a, a short film, a French short film from, like, the 50s or 60s. Oh. Yeah, but and it was, like, just, a series of images instead of, like, of moving images. Yeah. Yeah, so, but where does that stop becoming, like, yeah. visual art and yeah. becoming film. film? But then is film a form of visual art, I guess? I don't know. I'm confusing myself. What was that thing called? I forget. That's a good question. Asia. Um, off the top of my head, what's up with color? Wild, right? Uh, next. Because that, that, that's like a C at most. So um, can art bring us to the edge of our knowledge? Boom. What do you mean by the edge of our knowledge? For instance, I'm recalling a class I took in college about cosmic pessimism. and. Oh, yeah, that was with me. How um, one example of kind of pushing the boundaries of, like, knowledge, I guess. I don't know if it was specifically that was the, um, it's barely music. I don't even want to call it music. It was the black metal album, and it was, <laughs> it was a black metal chapter. Oh, my God, I can't remember what it was Yeah, it was called. in Thacker's book. Yeah. It was the first chapter of Eugene Thacker's and it was The Dust like, of This Planet. wild, listen to this music. It's barely music. It's pushing the boundaries of what music is because it's just a collection oh. of, like, sounds. So and myself. No- yeah. Yes. Japanese okay. name. Yeah. It, uh, Starts with an S. Uh, or a K. <laughs> or some other widely used <laughs> consonant sound in their language. I don't know. My brain is busted. I don't remember. It's, it's summertime, y'all. My brain don't work. It's all right. We're uh, at the beach. We're at the beach. We're at yeah. the beach. <laughs> Do you hear that? Seagulls don't care. Anyways, boom. Uh, How can we use art to kind of represent the edges of our knowledge? Okay. Is it, like, possible? Is, can we go from, like, thinking in... Um, Throwing out words here. I don't know if they make sense. Stay with me. Uh, thinking in a rational sense, a kind of existing in this nebulous space that art does with feelings, and I—I I don't know. Bam. Good. I'm good, just good. asking questions. I ain't answering. Yeah, them. yeah. No, we're just not our job. Our job is just to ask them. Okay, it's my turn. Um, one question that I really liked from our aesthetics class was whether it is possible or not for music to represent. So, like, uh, if somebody says, oh, this song, just without lyrics, we're just talking about music at the musical level, oh, this song represents some emotion or something. Like, is that possible? Can music actually represent anything? Asia says yes. 
I'm, I'm nodding silently on a podcast. <laughs> so you, so you hear, I know, I'm translating. <laughs> no, it was supposed to say unsaid, but felt emotionally. Okay, 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 okay. Cool, I got it now. All right, Derek, we'll go one more time around the table. Uh-oh. Okay, so... So, I guess I also have a concept of art that I need help with, like, deciding how to, like, expand this. And that's just... I know logically we can just say, yeah, art doesn't have an end. And most... What do you mean by end? Like, at one point, could we reach a point, sometimes, like, millions of years in the future, if humans exist that far, if the concept of art exists that far, that we reach the end of art? Oh, I actually read an article kind of like that where it's like uh, music and have we already used up all of the musical combinations possible or something like that and how people are like recycling Mm -hmm. melodies and stuff. Mm -hmm. Is that what you mean? Yeah, where it's just like, it's like, like as dark as myself is already pushing the boundaries, but what if it's just like all of just like popular media just gets that far and then it's just like, everyone's just like, bam. And then that's art. I was like, yeah, that's four Grammys right there. Four Grammys. <laughs> Good. All right, Emily. Uh, what's, uh-oh. What's a form that we haven't talked about? Talked about film and music. We didn't talk about painting, I don't think. Painting. Literature. Oh, duh. Literature. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'll be answering this later, but the expression of emotion okay. in literature, um, okay. in any art, I guess, like how, like what's the difference between um, just sharing an emotion through art, I guess, and like actually conveying an emotion maybe? Okay. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, good, good, good. <laughs> She's out. <laughs> I'm making a lot of gestures to my time, but it does not work as well in podcast form. No, no, it doesn't. God. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I don't know. I was thinking video games and art, but I don't I know could. what question I can ask that's not like a scrub Let's see. level we question. We read in aesthetics last semester, we read an, an article about video games and art, and it was an article about interactivity. Interactivity. Yep. What it meant to be interactive is all art interactive in a sense. Ooh. Yeah. Um, so that was good. That's a question. That counts. What can we ask about video games and art? That's not a scrub question. Boom. <laughs> There's the question. Come, come back to me. All right, all right, all right. I don't promise when. Well, for today's episode, what we uh, were thinking about doing is we all brought something aesthetics related to the table that we want to talk about. I'm going to gonna go first, first uh, and talk about an article by Jason Leddington entitled Magic, the Art of the Impossible. I am a nerd for theater magic. I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't sit and just study it or nothing, but, like, yeah, I'll watch the shit out of it on YouTube or something like that. But I was never quite clear, like, what the magician was up to or what they thought that they were up to. And so we read this article in Aesthetics that just absolutely blew my mind. I thought it was one of the best articles that we read all semester. And what Leddington argues is this, that uh, what the magician is going for is they are trying to cultivate an active state of disbelief in what they are doing so as to create a a contradictory and paradoxical experience within the person watching. And that is the experience of something that we know is impossible yet just happened. So like Jason Leddington says a bunch Mm -hmm. of interesting things. So he says like, look, 
And he uses Yuri Geller, who is just kind of this old scam artist, magician, as, as, a, as an example. He says, look, you know, a magician will tell you, I have this secret power, blah, 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 blah. But the magician thinks you do not believe them and actively does not want you to believe them. Because if they have a special power, then what they are doing is possible. But if they don't have a special power, then it's impossible. So when they do it, it's all that more baffling. Right, And so they'll try to cultivate this active uh, state of disbelief. So they'll roll up their sleeves. You know what I mean? They'll do things like shuffle a deck a whole bunch of mm-hmm. times. So just so it doesn't seem like this is possible, uh, possible at all. And I just thought it was uh, uh, just a, a wild article. And he talks a lot about uh, a little bit about cognitive conflicts in the experience of magic. And his example is like, I don't know if y'all have ever done this. I have. Have you ever have you gone on like, there's one in Vegas. Like you go onto one of those like transparent ledges. Like you mm-hmm. get on a ledge with a transparent floor and you look down. Yeah. Have you, who's, have you done that? I have. Have you done That's that? That's the worst. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My life. Yeah. It's <laughs> an existential metaphor. Um, but when you're doing that, like the experience is this, like I'm looking down and I know I'm not going to fall, but part of me is compelled to think, yeah, dude, you're, you're fitting to fall right now. But- but you know you're not. And so that's what Leddington says the magician is going for, is that kind of thing. You know they cannot do it, but you are compelled to believe that they can because you just saw it. I thought that article was mind-blowing. I love magic. It reminds me of uh, the special on NPR I heard about... Sorry, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> NPR is a curse word here. <laughs> on I heard where uh, this dude was a grandson. His grandfather and grandmother had this kind of uh, magic act where they'd quote unquote telepic- telepathically give each other messages. They'd have like their audience write a message and the dude would be in one area and he'd read it and the woman would be like miles away on a tower somewhere. And like, he'd be like, okay, I'm about to call my assistant. And she's going to read these words. And it wouldn't even be him. They have, like, this whole elaborate setup for how, like, they weren't cheating, basically, to make it, like, really clear. And she would always be able to, like, rattle off the words, like, perfectly. It, it would be, like, she'd act. She'd mm-hmm. act? Who knows? Well, <laughs> well like, no, it has to be acting if it's going to be real theater magic. Yeah. I think it's something with a bird. Uh, <laughs> like, that whole deal. But basically, the grandson, like, kind of spent his whole life trying to get his grandma to like tell the secret and like she never would she took it to the grave man she was down pat and it's just like does with theater magic does like the kind of art of it all continue beyond just the performance due to the kind of like the suspension of disbelief well you don't suspend disbelief suspension of belief no wait no whatever you say they want to cultivate an active state of disbelief right oh yeah Suspend, yeah, yes. yeah. What you said, a cultivation, rather than a suspension. Because of that cultivation of disbelief, does that, like the art, quote unquote, continue beyond the act of it actually being performed in oh. front of you? I don't know. I would think hmm. not, unless you start arguing that like life is art. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because <laughs> you were talking about. Um, That's a good question. When you were talking about like these, all these types of different acts and stuff, because. I'm personally not the biggest fan of theater magic, but I am. I am. Uh, 
I am when it's happening. Okay, well, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. when it's happening, I'm just, like, before it happens, like, someone's like, yeah, Jerry, I'm going to do a magic trick. Yeah, you're going to do a magic trick. Yeah, I don't care. And then they, like, <laughs> they, then they, like, oh, they pull the right card out. And then, like, instantly in that moment, I'm just like, oh, my God, <laughs> you did it. <laughs> Are you God? <laughs> so, it's just, like, it pulls me within this, like, temporal sphere mm-hmm. of just, like, of transporting my emotions <laughs> in di- directly into this act and just like completely flipping it and inversing it. And it's just like, oh, you got me, you got me. <laughs> and as soon as the time, like after the event happens, I start coming down from that high and it's just like, there had to be a way that you did it. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. There ha- th- th- this is fake, but it's just like that whole temporal, like few minutes or hours is just kind of what engrosses me into theater magic yeah. and for Lettington that's that moment but you're having that paradoxical experience and that's what's drawing you in because you know it's not possible but dude just did it <laughs> <laughs> but I also actively don't try and discover why they did it because I feel no, like because I'd be terrible yeah that'd be yeah. terrible like yeah. I don't want I don't want to know why how magic <laughs> is performed no I mean I want to figure it out but once I do that's it's a little different. disappointing yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, Emily, what did you want to talk to talk um, about today? Yeah, I'm going to be talking about poetry real quick. Um, so this guy, R.G. Collingwood, um, he starts with the assumption that like we all agree that emotion has some role in art, especially poetry. Um, and for him, it's the expression of emotion, which Not is... description. Yeah, it's a big difference between expression and description. Um, so let me look at my notes. <laughs> So, <laughs> um, expression is more of an individualized, individ, is that how you say it? Individualized? Individualized. Individualized? Oh my gosh. Individualized. Yes, individualized and a single and non repeatable emotion sort of being, would it be fair to say, conveyed mm-hmm. through, yeah, communicated. through the language? Yeah. Um, whereas description would just be like, oh yeah, I'm angry, I'm sad. It's more of an abstract concept rather than a specific emotional event, I guess. Mm. Um, So his whole idea is that the process of the poet is that they feel like this oppressive emotion, but they can't put it into words. Um, So then through the language, they sort of formulate this emotion, then they become conscious of the emotion and are freed from the oppressive nature of that emotion. So, I mean, I've been telling everybody about this. (laughs) (laughs) See, that makes me so happy as a teacher. Yeah. It's the bomb.com. Yeah, that was, it was a neat article. It really was cool. And it can be applied to other things. anything. To other forms of art. He uses this really cool example of an actress. Um, Instead of just making herself cry, like actually feeling the emotion and like that's going to be a better performance than Mm -hmm. the actress that just makes herself cry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like the the viewer is looking for like some sort of abstract emotion that they can then feel into mm-hmm. rather it's like the actual expression of this individualized emotion is what gets you and pulls exactly. you in yeah i was thinking about this a lot in terms of rap cuz rap is poetry right mm-hmm. a lot of these people are trying to express these really complicated things and this is how they do it and it's not like abstract situations no they want to talk about this one yes right completely individualized things mm-hmm. so yeah it gave me yeah i liked it i was gonna say it gave me an appreciation for poetry but i already had one yeah. it just helped <laughs> me understand a little bit better what was going on because again exactly, yeah. it was like magic you know i watch i read poetry but i don't know what anybody's up to mm-hmm. like i don't know 
don't know anything about poetry. Yeah. Like what literature? Like I'm Ion and Plato. Like I have no idea. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't know what's going on. I don't know what separates the good from the bad. I'm just like, okay, I like this or I don't. Mm-hmm. But see, now I have more of a now I have a kind something of something to hold on to. Yeah. It's like... Some sort of foundation. Nice. You a poetry fan, Asia? Um. I feel like if I say yes, I'm like a poser. But if I say no, that's like a complete lie. I like poetry. Do I like sit down and read it in my spare time? Not really. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of things I like that I don't do in my spare time. (laughs) So like, but yeah, I like it. I guess what it made me think of is just kind of like everyday communication, which is like when you're trying to like convey something to a friend, you're feeling like a specific, like you can be feeling sad, but Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily tell you exactly the emotion it just tells you kind of the category but if you make like some outlandish analogy like yeah god i can't come up with the first pancake <laughs> yeah i don't i don't think that counts but like i feel like the first pancake i feel and then it's just like me as someone who knows what that means it's just like oh i'm oh, so yes. sorry yeah i completely understand <laughs> yeah like and now or even something even more abstract i guess something like Everything I'm coming up with is contrived. A barnacle. Or like, oh God, I feel like that shirt hanging in the wind on that umbrella pole (laughs) at the beach. At the beach. Oh shit, I forgot we were at the beach. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's easy to forget. Seagull, boom. Like, if... Like, I don't know, you're feeling satisfied and you see a seagull, like, flying away with a big old chunk of cheeseburger, and you're like, yeah, I'm that seagull right now. That's me. Complete, like, I've stolen happiness from life. (laughs) And I am just chowing down that cheeseburger. And it's just like, that doesn't make any freaking sense. I guess it does. God, never mind. No, 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 it makes sense, but sidebar. (laughs) One of my favorite experiences of living in Florida so far is uh, we were at a water park. I don't remember which one, one of the Central Florida water parks. And uh, we were trying to get some food. And so the food court there has like one open part and one, (coughs) sorry, one part with a roof, right? Mm -hmm. There are these seagulls just flying back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And so people are standing in the open part and like, you know, they get served their burger. It's like, you know, the two halves are open. So you have to put put them on top of each other. And there's like the patty there. And I watched like this five times. The (laughs) seagull would just swoop down, grab the (laughs) the whole thing and just bail out people would be like oh my god what's happening oh. it's like if you had sat here for five minutes you would have known and you would have put your hand over it like come on now it's just my hatred for humanity coming. Oh, really? I felt like so much schadenfreude you know what I mean I just for some reason I really delighted in watching everybody lose their food it was like nature one I feel so much indignation towards wildlife when that happens once I a squirrel stole my lunch like <laughs> Much. Like, yeah, I was, <laughs> this is not philosophical at all, but. Uh, no, it is. We're, we're, we're talking about animal consciousness. <laughs> rock Springs, we left to go get, um, you like, it's basically a lazy river with rocks in it, hence the name. Okay. We went to go get the inner tubes. I left my drawstring bag filled with the trail mix. That was my lunch. I came back. <laughs> my drawstring bag was open. <laughs> trail mix trailing everywhere up the tree. I'm looking around like, what the heck happened? Was I robbed? <laughs> I don't have any money. This is a this is a loophole of water. I don't need money here. I look up I and need there's, trail mix. <laughs> there's a squirrel 
with the entire bag of trail mix just trying to get open while still in the tree. Stoked. I was so angry. <laughs> I was so angry at the audacity of nature to steal from me what once was mine. I, I respect the hell out of squirrels. Yeah, see, he me dropped too. it. I'm sorry, Asia. Like, I, I feel, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of snacks, so I feel bad that your snacks were taken, but also, like, this is just nature getting eaten. I was so enraged. I'll squirrel scoop it one more time. <laughs> it, and I immediately picked up my bag and just started trying to pelt it with food. I was so the angry. Squirrel was like sweet. <laughs> Powerless in the face of nature. The face of Man a squirrel. Nature. A seagull. Wow. Anyway. Yeah, sorry. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Uh, who is going to go next? Derek. Derek, what did you want to talk about? You had an article. <laughs> I, I love art. <laughs> but above all else, I love cinema and film. I yes. love it. It's my bread and butter. And I brought in an article by Misha um, Gupta, and she's discussing how phenomenolo- phenomenology and film have like the best relationship. So throughout the throughout most of this article, she jumps off of the philosopher Merleau Ponty's, um, and how they discussed how. We share our experiences with an hyper-reflexive, very descriptive language that remains faithful to our own perception. Um, Gupta talks about how that cinema is like the best example of this. Okay. And how cinema in general is just one of those things that's just like you look at cinema and you can get a... F- an idea of phenomenological relationships within cinema, and she brings up four like methods of filmmaking that help like ensure that this happens. Okay. So the first one is film as a lived body. So it's like being transported into the character's world and experiencing what the character experiences. Think so. Think of the first twenty minutes of. It's a very famous war movie. It has Tom Hanks. They're saving. Oh, Band of Brothers. Uh, no. Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private there we Ryan. go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the first opening 20 minutes is just, you're like in it. You're like following Ooh. one character as they're like, a bomb drops next to him. You hear what he hears. You see everything that he sees. And you're just transported back into the world. Every time you pick up a gun, the way the sound is that you're feeling like you're picking up the gun and you're shooting Nazis. It's it's just so, you're so you get so inducive within what they're feeling I, within the moment. My best example of that is, and the movie turned out to not be that good, but when I was in the theater and I saw the trailer for Gravity yes. for the first time, yes. I watch a lot of horror and a lot of sci-fi, and I had never felt like this before. Like, my hands were just, like, digging into the armrest. Like, that trailer was so stressful. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of parts in that movie that were so stressful because I'd never seen anything that like made you feel like you were floating outside in space, which has to be one of the scariest feelings ever. So is that an example? Yes, that is actually that's actually a really good example. And the second it's one actually the movie was that great. Yeah. <laughs> the second one is films and twinings perspectives. Actually, sorry, I had a roommate <laughs> back in Pittsburgh who we were, we had just come home from seeing Gravity. She went with us. And um she was just like so mad. I'm like, what are you mad about? And I mean, every, mm-hmm. spoiler, whatever. So at the end of it, Sandra Blur, Sandra Blurick, Sandra Bullock <laughs> comes crashing down to earth in that like eject pod thing, yeah. you know, whatever that thing, like the Soyuz thing. And like my roommate at the time could not get over. She was like, what if that thing fell on an orphanage? What if that fell on the last 
snow leopard. What if that fact, we're just like, what are you talking about? Like, did it is it one human life yeah. worth an endangered species? Oh yeah. Orphanage? Yeah. Who knows? But I guess we're about to find out, huh? Not in space. <laughs> well, she well, said in the jungle. Or something. The, on the like last the tiger? <laughs> yeah, that's what you kept saying. On the last <laughs> megalodon? The last tiger. The last megalodon. <laughs> Please, no. How do you feel about space now, Derek? <laughs> <laughs> she just lives wildly irresponsible. <laughs> that's the movie where George Clooney died, right? Where it's just like... I think so. But like the entire movie, he was kind of like a ghost. I'm like, yeah, I'm still out here. But no, you're dead, George. Yeah, yeah. You need to put a spoiler warning before all this. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> dude, that movie is old. Uh, like, in, you haven't seen it this In point. case you still haven't seen Gravity, and we're really looking forward to it. <laughs> it came out, what, like five years ago. All right, sorry, what was the second one, Derek? The second one was films entwining perspectives okay. and how film can switch into the first person. Okay. So it's like, I'm going to use Band of Brothers again. You're just dropped right back into his head and you're like seeing everything that he sees. And it's just these subjective camera angles can be used to reveal the hidden perspectives of the character. Mm-hmm. You can you can literally jumping into their body to see what they see. So what, what would be a good example of that? There's that sequence um, in Children of Men. Did you ever see Children of Men? I love Children of Men. So you know that one like super long shot? in the middle where he's uh, running into that building and like the the camera's just falling through a bus and like blood splatters on the yeah. on the camera, mud splatters on it. Like, it's exactly that. It's just like you're right there with him just seeing exactly yeah, what he okay. sees. Okay, okay. This third one is film's haptic visuality, uh, intertwining with touch with film. And this happens in a few films. One film in particular is me Before You, starring Amelia Clark. Yes. What is that? It's a movie where this playboy, he's... It's a romance. Yeah, it's a rom Is it a Roco? It's not a rom-com. It's, it's uh, real sadness. It's, yeah. <laughs> because it's he... It's a rom-sad. He's, um, he, it's a playboy. He becomes a quadriplegic. Yes. And he, he he falls in love with his caretaker, who falls in love with him back. And the thing is, there will be scenes in the movies where we focus from his perspective, and the camera swings in tightly on Amelia's Clark. And it's just like, it's like on the curvature of her skin. You can see him focusing on her lips, so it's just like he wants to touch her, and you get these feelings that he wants to actually hold her and comfort her as she's going through a time. But he can't. He can't. And it's just like you you are transported into him in that moment, and then you start crying with him. Uh-huh. And then it's just, oh, God, film is so good. And then the, <laughs> and then the final one is the, is the editing of the film. It's called Film's Rhythmatic Gestalt where it's just like the person who's in charge of editing the film can put you right there in the action to get your SEO numbers up I'm going to bring up Game of Thrones and in, in the battle for Winterfell and the third ep- in season 8 episode 3 The Long Night um <laughs> There's the, the entire episode is just drenched in darkness because the the camera directors wanted to put you right in the action. You can't see anything, just like they can't see anything. You just see bursts of fire raining down from the dragons. You're just like, I don't know what's happening. You're just getting the chaotic nature of the entire fight scene. You're getting everything, and you just know that God war is hell, and it makes you tense. It makes you just <laughs> want to turn it off. And yeah, and take all of that... She ends it. She ends the entire essay by talking about how all of these techniques within film are applied 
phenomenal phenomenal phenomenologically in order for an individual to evoke in order for the filmmaker to invoke empathy uh, within okay the w- within the watchers of the creative process okay hmm. yeah yeah okay cool yeah, which translates me. us to <laughs> all right asia hey it's me asia hey. um i'm a continent Damn. Yes. Addiction <laughs> wins every time. So um, my article was this paper written by Yuri Margolin. Sorry if I mispronounce your name. Anyways, <laughs> if you're listening, Yuri. <laughs> Anyways, um, and she talks about the different levels of engagement with characters. So like fictional characters. I was really interested. Okay. So I love just like swing in full focus on characters. I like making characters. They're kind of some of my favorite things. If like the plot of a movie doesn't grab me, if there's a character I like, I'll stick with it. Side note, I've tried to get Asia to make her own video series on how to make a character in Dungeons and Dragons. I've been trying to for a very long time. That's her favorite part of the entire endeavor. Characters. So much goes into it. Don't. She has two characters in the world about. Don't tempt me. (laughs) Anyways. So I was really, I feel like empathy is a huge part of engaging in art on like so many levels across so many things. And so I wanted to focus in using her paper, kinds of readerly engagement with fictional characters. Um, And she uses kind of her predecessor's work and the work of a philosopher, Alvin Goldman, to make different levels of engagement with characters because you don't necessarily engage with all characters on the same level. The same way, yeah. So there's four levels. There's the Desensu level where the character is at like its most basic. All it is is basically, you can think of it as a file of traits. You open up a file, it's like, oh, curious. Oh, um, kind. Oh, they're self selfish a little bit but that's not necessarily creating a person in your mind yeah and then on the next level it's the dedicto level and dedicto i don't know latin bam um and it's the characters need to follow a logical consistency it's not enough for them to just be kind of like a collection of traits that you just whip out when you need to throw this character out into something it's like oh, they're kind, so they act this way and this way. They're, it's just kind of, it starts to kind of piece together into something more logical, more concrete, like a blueprint for this character, basically. And then, but we still, they're still not entirely a person. It's still just kind of an outline, and you don't start feeling empathy for them until the Day Ray level, which is the next one, where you can kind of, they gain more personhood, and they're actually kind of like a person within their own world. So the actions that they do affect the world around them they're affected by the world in turn and you can start you kind of start seeing them in their own capacity as a person so you start empathizing with them more but the highest war um, level of involvement with character is the de say level which is when you're starting to actively empathize with these characters like um for instance it's a character on paper. It's someone crafting a person, so they're not going to get all the nuances of being like human out in the world mm-hmm. and stuff. So you kind of, but you're so into this character that you kind of start filling in the blanks. And I don't know how it's. I was just, I was on a roll, and I was like, how do I say this other than you start filling in the blanks, yeah. like kind of not quite on the same level as people who create fan works, fan fiction, like head cannons and things like that, but kind of 
you know when you see a piece of art and it's the use of negative space that lends your mind to kind of complete the picture it's kind of that same idea but with like literary and film characters so can hmm. do you have any examples of films or maybe television series where uh, with characters at these different levels because i know we're talking here about like character development or something like that in, in a game but like what kinds of examples might fit some of these um well for the day sensu level an example would be kind of like alice in wonderland like you can through a lot of mental work on your own part, you can take Alice in Wonderland out of kind of like, you can see her as a collect, okay. Uh, Scrap, restart, Desensu, Alice from Alice in Wonderland is like, you can see her first as a collection of traits. She's a young girl, she's naive, she's curious, she's um. Mm -hmm. We'll just drink random things put in front of her. Confused, yeah, it's a collection. (laughs) So confused. But it's like a collection of traits. Like you might empathize with her because it's like this little girl on a journey, but most of the empathy you're getting is your own work. It's not necessarily because it's like, it's a little girl crying. So you imagine a real little girl crying. You're like, oh man, this sucks. But on paper, Alice is a collection of traits. And then logical consistency would be like, God, I can only, ooh, I. Yeah, thanks Erin, you're right. Bam, logical consistency. But, oh man, I'm sorry. What, what, My do brain you, didn't do you have um, an example of like the last, the most fundamental level? Um, or not the most fundamental, you know what I mean. What's like your that? favorite character in a piece of media? Me. Anyone, like, damn, popcorn. Oh, um, like the most well-written character I know. I'd, sure. Sasuke Uchiha from Naruto. Okay, bam, Sasuke oh. Uchiha. So the thing is, Kishimoto is not that good of a writer. He's not, sorry, you're gonna get flamed now. Wow, hot takes. <laughs> sorry about the controversy here, but um, Sasuke is not just a collection of traits. He follows a logical consistency as long as Kishimoto de- deigns to write a decent story. And he exists as a character in the world who's affected by the things and the people around him. Naruto, namely, the uh, sins wrought against him by his own like village, blah, blah, blah. But I know this because you don't stop talking about Sasuke. You, in your empathy and love of Sasuke, you also fill in the blanks that Kishimoto left so gapingly empty because he's a bad writer. (laughs) So. (laughs) 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 So, Oh, Derek signed up for this. So, um. The things that don't necessarily make consistent logical sense, you start kind of filling in your mind. That reminds me of Hinata from the same show. I'm so sorry. This is now all, all about anime. No idea what anime. <laughs> going completely over my head. Yeah, me too. I'm so sorry. It's all right. That's okay. Because my my example, nobody here watched. My person of interest, I think, has my favorite characters of all time. But nobody watched. Them. This is me. This is me activating my uh, fingers on the temples, activating my pop culture database. It's the one where it's like person of interest. Oh man, we have a machine yeah, that yeah, yeah, tells yeah. the future. We gotta take <laughs> these people out or protect them. Whatever the machine says. It's like Minority Report. <laughs> no, what? I mean, kind of, not really. But like, okay. The best example I have is Hinata Hyuga from Naruto. I'm so sorry. I apologize. Why did you ask me for an example? 
Wait. You created this hell. I think I can help. What's someone who's a lot more mainstream? Tony Stark, Iron Man. Gotta hate Tony Stark I know, so goddamn but much. Excuse me? Don't let Anthony hear that. Because the thing is, if I got what you said right, because I also hate Iron Man, but I will argue that he has a really well-written arc. Okay. And his arc eventually ends with his, with like gathering empathy from him because by the end you know his backstory you know like he's a collection of just thoughts at the first level where it's like yeah he's selfish he's kind of a huge asshole and he's just he's, he's a tool he's a tool and he but you also can spread out from that where it's like okay he's this is happening because this expresses itself this way he doesn't really know how to talk to people he doesn't really know how to communicate oh. with people of that. I see where you're getting at. So we can follow Tony Stark from Iron Man 1 all the way to Endgame and see him come from a basic collection of hero traits. Mm -hmm. um, hey, jerkish, arrogant, asshole. Um, I'm going to come up with something good, but willing to do the right thing. I don't know. <laughs> um, a redeeming quality. Bam. And as we follow him from Iron Man 1 into Iron Man 2, we start seeing these traits take form as kind of a logical consistency. Oh, because Tony is arrogant, he made this decision. Oh, because Tony fears a future where he won't be able to protect, I don't know, New York, Earth, whatever. This happened. Age of Ultron. Boom. And um, I don't know. <laughs> is there another sense where, like, I, I was kind of getting the idea that each level of these designates one's ability to imagine that character in a situation that's not the book. Basically, yeah. Like, so if I'm just given a set of character traits with like Alice in Wonderland, something like I'm, it's hard for me to imagine what she would be like just out in the world. But if you have right. a really well developed character, something on that, what was the final level? They say. Like you have something at that level, I should be able to kind of just imagine that person out in the world. Is yeah. that kind of where it's? Yeah. Is that at least something entailed by? You can like, yeah, you can start to imagine them out in the world because even though it's just a piece of literature, it's just a piece of film, and the character only exists within so far as that you've kind of taken part a partnership with the author in some way where the negative spaces left outside of like maybe the realms of the story the realms of what's chosen to be revealed or written is filled in the blanks by your imagination so this character becomes more real because you're able to oh this person's a person. So if they were out in the world, mm -hmm. they would act like this on the way to the grocery store. They would act like this in like, I don't know, a coffee shop AU. They would act like this and you're able to imagine all these things because you've helped the, the author has given you like 75% of the work mm -hmm. and then you fill in the last 25% to kind of mm -hmm. round the circle. Round it out. That's why I was using the example of like if like the ways that artists can play with negative space. So even though they don't complete the image of like, I don't know, a donkey or a smiley face or whatever, you can kind of use what's not there to fill in the blank of what you're supposed to see. Like why sketches look better than line art sometimes, because with the sketch, your brain fills in what uh, is supposed sure, to be sure. there, but with the line art, it's just boom, 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 you get what you get. Yeah. So it's huh, kind of that same idea with characters. Yeah. Nice. Finally figured it out. There we go. Yeah. There we go. There Delete we go. Everything else. <laughs> <laughs> Bam. Editing magic, it's gone. 
the, ryth- the rhythm of this podcast that's <laughs> happening at the beach. Yes, at the beach. Speaking of the beach, it's getting pretty hot out here. The, <laughs> we got a lot of sand in the mixing board. There's annoying family next to us with children that I just kind of want to murder at the moment. So we're going to wrap it up here. And uh, thanks for listening to Corrupting the Youth Summer Edition. We will see you next month from uh, the beach again, maybe, or some other summer spot. And uh, we'll see you later. I'll never yeah. stop corrupting the youth.